0: again give back gang and welcome to the give back sports podcast i'm your host brett friedman my guest today is currently the associate director of player development for the toronto maple leafs she also happens to be the leading scorer in olympic women's hockey history a four-time gold medalist a two-time olympic tournament mvp and the first woman to play full-time professional hockey at a skill position she's most recently the founder of wick hockey a grassroots initiative built to bring hockey to young athletes around the world. As we will today and in all Give Back Sports podcast episodes, we'll learn how our guests have parlayed athletic accolades or influence within the world of sports into an opportunity to uplift the community around them. As a reminder, if you have any questions for our wonderful guests, please post them on our social media channels. I can't wait to chop it up with this all-time great athlete and an all-time human Today's guest is Ms. Haley Wickenheiser. Good morning, Haley.
1: Morning, Brett. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for coming up for air now that your exams are in the rearview mirror.
1: (laughs) Yes, it feels very good to finish the curriculum portion of medicine, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, can you give us an idea of what you're going back for a degree for?
1: Yeah, I'm studying actually to be an MD, a a medical doctor. Uh, I would like to work emergency trauma. So uh, yeah, that's what's coming down the pipe.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like you didn't have enough under your belt already. That's beautiful. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's busy. It's busy, but it's it's fun. I love it. I've always wanted to go into medicine since I was very young. And uh, so I'm really excited about doing that.
0: Wow. So this was always something that you kind of had your eye on, but knew that it wasn't something you could pursue until after your playing career was over?
1: Yeah, exactly. I knew that it was going to be uh, too hard to do medicine and hockey at the same time. So the best thought I had was uh, play as long as I can until that uh, I can't anymore. And then medicine couldn't wait anymore. So I had to make a decision. And uh, yeah, here I am. I'm in my uh, my second of third year at the University of Calgary. And uh, I really enjoy it. It's a nice change. I I run around quite a bit back and forth from Toronto to Calgary to make it all work. But it's uh,
0: it's a lot of fun. I'm sure you have a supporting cast at WIC hockey that's holding down the fort while you've got your head in the books.
1: <laughs> I got a great team. of. Uh, I have uh, two people, Kaylee and Rob Price who've, who've worked with me for uh, almost 15 years now and they run uh, all of the WIC hockey stuff and our hockey festival, uh, Wick, Wick's, Wick and Heiser International Female Hockey Festival is all wrapped in with that. So uh, they take care of all that while I just uh, put my head in the books and study. So it's worked out pretty
0: well. <laughs> it's good. I mean, it always takes a village, but especially in this case, it's probably a beautiful thing to know you can trust those folks. You know, like you're yeah stepping out of your comfort and into medicine. World. Yeah,
1: everybody needs support, and I think when you're an athlete, you're uh, very spoiled because you get a lot of um, great people surrounding you and support staff, and it's no different in business and like in the charitable ventures. You need a lot of support to to move things forward and have people behind you. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. And just from doing my homework a little bit, it sounds like you've had that support for the vast majority of your life. And what I'm alluding to is, you know, what I learned about you is that your parents were very supportive of you pursuing hockey from a young age. Could you tell us a little bit about what that was like having them kind of at your side throughout the whole journey?
1: Yeah, no, It's been amazing. My mom and dad, you know, when I wanted to play hockey as a kid, my parents said, girls can do anything a boy can do. And when I wanted to uh, start playing, my dad built a rink in our backyard in Shaunavan, Saskatchewan, a very small town in the middle of nowhere in Canada here. And, um, you know, we uh, played with our neighborhood kids. We had 30 kids in our neighborhood. I had my younger brother and sister, Ross and Jane, playing. And all around, it was just um, a really awesome environment to grow up in. No one looked twice from a girl playing. And I think that's what made my road so easy. I mean, it was hard, but... In a small town where you need bodies, they were happy to have me on the ice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's funny. So there's more adoption by necessity than anything at first.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you're that young, nobody cares. But when you get older and you start to get good, then you're taking the place of a boy. So then that became a bit of an issue. But uh, up until that point, we were okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, I learned that your mom was a teacher, right? Or both of your parents are teachers?
1: Yeah, both of my parents are actually retired teachers now, but uh, we're teachers, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they were in the community and at the rink, and they were coaching other teens and other kids and stuff. And, yeah, it's just uh, kind of what they did. I grew up, uh, my parents were really involved in something called the Kinsmen and Canets in the community, which is an organization that just helps the community. And so they were always volunteering. They're always um, giving back. Like, I just, there's not a time that I can think of my parents that they weren't helping someone or something, and and even with my Wiccas Fest that we do, my parents are at the rink four days straight. My dad times games and coordinates. My mom runs the silent auction table and just kind of bosses everyone around and makes sure it's okay. So <laughs> it's awesome to have them there, and they've been there the whole way.
0: That's awesome. They're probably in their element.
1: Yeah, they're uh, they're definitely in their element. I don't know what they—they're not the type to sit at home. I think. The hardest thing for my parents was when I retired from hockey, they didn't have the rink to go to every day. So not only was I having to transition, but your whole family is when it's something you've done your whole life. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You probably (laughs) felt like you were on the hook. You were like, Oh, I got to start an organization. So these guys have a rink to go to.
1: (laughs) Basically that's, that's kind of true. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny. My dad is a New York city public school teacher he was always around when I was a kid playing youth sports, and I know how involved he was, but I can only imagine the involvement that your parents, or maybe even more specifically your mom, had to have knowing that, like you said, as you got older and, you know, and boys ultimately felt threatened by your skill set, she was going to have to lobby with these leagues to continue to allow you to play. Do you remember her having a conversation with anyone from the league? Was that something that you were privy to?
1: Yeah, you know, I remember like as early as nine years old, my mom and dad were uh, advocating for me at a hockey school. I wanted to go to in uh, Saskatchewan and they only allowed boys and they weren't going to let me in. And my mom said, well, I think now we're dealing with a human rights issue. And then all of a sudden I was allowed to go. So that was the first time. And then um, I was playing mid to AAA, which is the highest level that you can play as a young boy in Canada at 15 years old. And I was the only girl in the league and 15 games into the season, they cut me for no reason at all other than the coach told me that he couldn't handle having a girl on the team and so at that point I remember I was on a road trip out of town and we came back and my mom was there to pick us up and I came out she's like oh it sounds like everything went great and I said it did but I just got cut and uh, (laughs) she I remember she went over to the coordinator of the league's house because no one would pick up the phone to answer us of why this happened uh, because we knew it was wrong and We had to get a release form signed, a whole bunch of things. And so she drove right over there and wasn't leaving until he signed it. And I was just, I mean, my parents are not like that. My parents are incredibly quiet, supportive in the background. They never pushed me in hockey. They were not helicopter parents, which is probably why I made it as far as I did. But when push comes to shove and it was time to do the right thing, they were always there, whether it was for me or anyone else. They would never shy away from doing what was right. And um, I think they really instilled that into me now where, you know, even in medicine, when things are hard, you always have that moral compass that you must do the right thing. So something I appreciate being older now.
0: Yeah, that's so important, right? You know, it's one thing to always be in in the public spotlight because you need to say something. But I think it, like you said, it's even more powerful when you can kind of fade into the background until there is some kind of injustice that you do need to speak up for.
1: Yeah, and it's really hard in today's world sometimes to, uh, you know, to have have that moral compass when, you know, social media is is so prevalent in our lives. There's nowhere to kind of turn it off or run and just hide from it. And you don't know what's true and what isn't half the time that you read. So I think you, uh, you know, when you have a principled approach to things and you have a great upbringing, it really helps to be able to weed through that stuff. And I find it you know, whether it was playing hockey or with the WIC Fest or with hockey and, and medicine, it's all the same. And business, like all of these life lessons are, are all the same. And I think that's the type of people that I also gravitate towards.
0: Mm. So obviously, family is a big deal. In one word, what did your recent Hall of Fame induction mean to your family? Uh,
1: pride, I think. it's funny because uh, my parents are not into stuff like that neither am I like I actually was kind of happy when it was over (laughs) because it's not my thing to the awards and stuff I mean I know what I did I know what I accomplished but it's also at the same time you're part of the greatest players of hockey history and a huge honor and you know a beautiful weekend but I think my parents sat there with pride they didn't really say much to be honest that's really great and you know my brother and sisters, their accomplishments are not as you know talked about his mind but they're just as important to my parents and so that's something that they tried to always instill in us is we're proud of all of you and Haley just gets more press but it doesn't mean it's more important <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's kind of how it was but i think they were proud and you know i think they sat back as i talked and talked about the struggles and probably thought yeah it was a long road but it was for something you know it made a difference i think
0: yeah absolutely speaking of making a difference Everybody that becomes a great player, even people that reach the heights that you have as an athlete, had to learn from somebody. And it seems as though both of your parents were fantastic role models. Are there any players or former teammates that you consider a role model?
1: Absolutely. Um, Most of the women I played with in my early years really influenced my life in a big way. They were older than me. My first roommate was a 35-year-old math teacher, and I was a 15-year-old grade 10 math student she was teaching my grade <laughs> so those women they you know when you're around mature adults at a young age that have it together and know what it takes to win it really impacts your life and they did they modeled that for me every day they taught me how to be a pro they were incredibly driven and they made no money doing it at all but they didn't care That's they loved it, it was for the love and those are the players that when i think back in my career those are the ones that i really think about
0: hmm Did they teach you any tools, whether it's fitness training or mental focus or, you know, anything for personal growth? Did they teach you anything that you have then passed on to young athletes, either through WIC hockey or some other entity?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think they taught me about accountability and they taught me about discipline. I think they didn't even teach me. They actually just modeled it. I just watched it every day. Mm -hmm. I watched women who worked a full-time job. And then at night, trained three, four hours to play. I watched women who gave up their career to go to the Olympics because that's the ultimatum they were given and lost everything. Today, that would never happen. But 20 to five years ago, that happened. And, um, you know, I watched women who, despite no one really respecting or caring about women's hockey, fought for it every day. You know, we fought with Hockey Canada in the early days to get funding and money and relevance. And now that's just. Nobody thinks about that stuff. So all of those things, they greatly impacted my life. And they, I think, made me very driven to carry on that tradition and that legacy that they had established.
0: And that was really important. Mm. Well, I mean, because of those reasons, and because you were part of these early teams that were trailblazers, really, I'd imagine that little girls with hockey dreams see you and, you know, your former teammates as heroes. What would you say to those little girls who are trying to pursue their dreams as a hockey player?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that uh, they do look up to the Olympic team. They do look up to um, the players that play. And we know that in each Olympic Games, there's a 50% bump in the registration in Canada and the U.S. after the Olympics is over in women's hockey. So I think the message I have for the young girls is, you know, a lot of people told me when I was a kid that don't bother girls don't play hockey, you should figure skate or knit or do something that girls do. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm here to say that I kind of had this, you know, everybody has a bucket list. I did this TED talk and I called it, you know, bucket because, you know, we all have our bucket list of things we want to do. But I had my bucket things that I had to kind of buck the system, buck Mm -hmm. the traditional stereotypes. And I had my list and I just like look back and I just keep checking them off as I went. And I couldn't have done it alone. I had a lot of support around me to make that happen. But that's kind of uh, the approach that I had. And, you know, if you love something enough, you'll find a way to do it. I really believe
0: that. Yeah, I agree. I always say when there's a will, there's a way. And stuff like that, you know, cliches like that oftentimes get brushed aside as just a cliche. But, you know, when you assign a certain amount of emphasis on it. And when you truly believe it, it could become a reality.
1: Yeah. And I think just the relentless pursuit of whatever it is you're trying to do sort of a narrow minded focus, the single minded focus is what it takes. And it's very also at the same time, you know, this was oftentimes I've got a 19 year old son. His name is Noah. And, and I know that it was hard on him sometimes because it was so hard, the pursuit of it and the energy that it took. and uh, took his mom away from him a lot to travel and things like that so I know that but in the end you know he tells me today well mom I'm really glad I got to go to Russia for the Olympics or I'm really glad that you know you took me to the IOC meetings or all of those types of things and I think now he realizes it but at the time you know as a mom I had a lot of guilt around that but I've kind of dropped that
0: over the years. (laughs) Hmm. Did you feel as though your relationship with the game changed when you became a mom?
1: No, I always love the game. Um, I love my son more than the game, but it's not a close second. But it was the only thing in my life, I should say. And then, when you have a child, you realize that um, it is just a game. I think that's what changed. It's not the end of the world anymore. It took me a little while to get there, but I think I really grew up in a hurry when I had my son. I was very young. He's he. Was, he uh, I was 21, so I had a lot to figure out.
0: Mm-hmm. I would imagine that he seems to have been really proud of what you accomplished and had fond memories of, of traveling with you has he ever talked to you about what kind of an honor it was to be the flag bearer for the hockey team in the olympics
1: yeah he knows the honor he thought it was cool i remember when i walked into the stadium he was there he had a sign his face was painted i knew where he was sitting so i sought <laughs> him out right away <laughs> i remember that whole olympics was the first olympics in sochi where he was 14 where he started to realize oh, maybe this hockey thing is kind of cool. (laughs) And uh, when I came out (laughs) in the gold medal game, when I came out, he had a sign and said, go mom. And yeah, so um, those moments are moments like you never forget when those happen with your kids because you realize the impact. I think that he uh, innately has picked up a lot of the qualities that athletes have. He's been around, around a lot of the top athletes in hockey in his life and other sports and how driven they are and how hard they work and discipline and and he gets served him well at universities. You know, he's doing well. He doesn't wait till the last minute. <laughs> he organizes himself. And, you know, he's also in the military reserves. And I think that that discipline really pointed him in that direction and kind of got him into the, into the military as well. So it's kind of cool to see how it all works out. But in the end, he's his own man. And hockey is not something he enjoys to do or play.
0: <laughs> wow. Was that hard for you to swallow when he was growing up?
1: No, not at all. I knew. I knew the second I put a skates on when it was two that this was not happening. So yeah. <laughs> All right, so you can just tell. You can just tell. <laughs>
0: so you've had some time yeah. to get it at least.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, I was over it. I was over it initially.
0: <laughs> so Haley, can you give us an idea of what's up next for WIC hockey? I think the Canadian tire mm-hmm. Wickenheiser World Female Hockey Festival is the next mountain for you to climb. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you're curious what it is, it's www.wickfest.com. And we have it in Calgary. We just finished Calgary. We're, we're launching uh, up again in Surrey at the end of January. And then we're moving into probably Halifax next year, Toronto. Uh, we're speaking to markets like Nashville and Tampa Bay as well, and hopefully something on the West coast. Yeah, it's exciting. We deal with uh, 3,000, kids over two weekends in calgary Seven thousand people come through our doors and basically what it is is they get a chance to play five hockey games but at the same time they also uh can sign up for off-ice sessions things like mental training and nutrition and education opportunities and things like that and um just get a chance to really uh i guess uh, get themselves well-rounded as an athlete we bring in nhl players and other olympic athletes from other sports and it's just overall a very uh cool weekend and we don't make any money on these events it all goes back to the charities jumpstart and kids sport and um and, or just to running the event for the next year we just try to roll it over and and keep it going so um we've had teams from all over the world we've had teams from china india finland czech republic all over the u.s and canada and mexico as well has come for seven or eight years in a row so it's been pretty awesome experience
0: that really is amazing especially the fact that it's a nonprofit endeavor is something yeah. that makes my heart pump. Uh, it's something that I'm sure resonates with our listeners as well. And I would imagine that like, yeah. the tournament on the ice is going to be, you know, spirited and well contested. I think what me and the rest of the listeners are actually probably more interested in is something you alluded to. And that's the personal and leadership development that you have, like that program that you've developed for mm-hmm. these young athletes.
1: Yeah, because, you know, anybody can go to a hockey tournament. They're a dime a dozen. But not everybody gets access to Olympic athletes and to experts and world experts in their field. And gets to, to get up close with, you know, Kaylee Humphreys, Olympic bobsledder, Eric Weave, Olympic uh, wrestler, gold medalist, and, you know, rub shoulders with NHL players. like And just learn from them and be in the environment. And some of the top coaches in the world, Bobby Clark and Brian Burke, Trevor Lim, and all of these hockey legends um, that we've had come through our doors Um, we even had the prime minister Justin Trudeau show up last year so a lot of people believe in what we're doing and um, we're really proud of it I think I believe that if you want to be a great hockey player you have to be a great athlete and you also have to be a good person at the end of the day I don't think bad people make it too far (laughs) for too long anyway You know, I think if we can just intrinsically instill the skills that these young women have, that, you know, not everyone's going to the Olympics. I bet you out of 30,000 kids I worked with, I don't know, 1% might make the Olympics, maybe, maybe a few more, but they're going to go on to be business people and moms, and they're going to go on to be leaders, and it's what those skills are going to give them in life. And so that's really what I'm about, is the the well-roundedness as a person as a whole.
0: Yeah, and, you know, as crazy as it might sound it almost seems like hockey is just your vehicle at this point, And you are ushering in an era and a community of people that have really, really positive values, positive work ethic. And again, hockey is just kind of the vehicle to bring these to fruition.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, you just said it all. You couldn't have said it better. That's my whole goal in what I do. Hockey is a vehicle to do a lot of great things in life. And I was fortunate enough to be good at it and do it for a long time. And and now I'm going to use the other tools that I have as well.
0: I love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, You were talking about the other regions of the world that were represented at these tournaments. So mm-hmm. why are... Places like China, Mexico, Ireland, India. Why are those places that you and Danielle wanted to establish roots in for WIC hockey?
1: Yeah, because these places are, you know, people say, well, who cares about hockey in India, especially in the Himalayas? Well, well, I do, because, you know, who cares about girls and women in India? Not a lot of people. But I think the way you help people is you help, if I help 30 girls in Ladakh in the northern Himalayas through this hockey initiative, The effect that they're going to have is thousands of people in their region because we know that the way to help people out of poverty is to help women and children. They're the ones that do the work. They're the ones that have the multiple. They have the home and they have jobs And in a lot of these countries. They're the ones who are given the least amount of opportunity, the least amount of education. And so if we help the women and children, we effectively help the culture and the the country. And uh, they are empowering and working with thousands of people. It was so interesting to be in India. I had a lot of these ex-NHL and junior players with me. We had nine of us. And we played the, the Indian military, men's military, on an outdoor rink at 13,000 feet in the Himalayas. And I told my guys, I said, I want to actually crush them. Let's beat them by 30 goals because I knew that we could. And we took some of the women on the other team. We pl- had them play with us. And I said, and every chance we get, give them a tap-in opportunity to you know, let them girls score. Uh So we beat these guys by yeah 20 goals and the girls scored a lot of them and sometimes we would score just to keep it going but what happened was they went from disrespecting and not thinking much of these young girls and women to giving them more ice time to working with them for camps to helping them and it changed their lives these women have now gotten a sponsorship from Under Armour. They've been able to travel to Malaysia and to some other tournaments. They're funded now by the Indian Sport Minister, which, like in India, funding ice hockey is crazy. Wow. So, like, a lot of these things have really happened because of this young group of girls. So that's why we do it. That's why we have the Mexican national team come. Because, yeah, you know, they're never going to win the Olympics or make it to Pule and the World Championships. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to go home and make everybody around them better. And that's what this the whole thing is all about. In Europe, yes, hockey is loved but a lot of these women's programs aren't funded or respected by the organization. And so this is why we have to empower them, teach them what we did here to get respect. And then when they go home, they can keep fighting there. So it's the survival of the game. It's empowering the women and it's just doing the right thing in the world through the vehicle and the thing that I know, which is sport.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. I love hearing it.
1: (laughs) I get very passionate for you.
0: yeah well that's why we're talking (laughs) yeah (laughs) before we go any further I do want to know was Prime Minister Trudeau any good
1: (laughs) in hockey or politics
0: (laughs) Uh, let's stick to hockey
1: (laughs) yeah let's stick to hockey no he doesn't play he doesn't skate um he told me that he uh he loves basketball and box he actually didn't even really know how to handle a stick. I mean, I, okay, he I give him that, he can handle a stick. But no, he's not a hockey player, and, and there's you know no problem that with that. Say what you want about our prime minister. What I know he cares about is women and girls in a big way, and that's why he came, and that's why he did what he did. And I really respect the Canadian government and what they did in my initiative and moving forward. They get that side of things, and I, I think lifting women and girls out of poverty is really, really important. Mm,
0: good. All right, well, I'm glad to hear that. So, if Prime Minister Trudeau couldn't handle a stick, we'll move on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean. I guess I shouldn't be so harsh. Only to say he's never played hockey. He's never skated. So. No, um, I know that's that's you
0: amazing know. to me. Yeah. Think like when you're registering yeah. for <laughs> as as a government official, they say like, all right, you know, go, <laughs> go blue line to blue line. Let me see what you're working with.
1: <laughs> he had a very different upbringing than just about any other human on the planet, being the child of the Prime Minister. And then being one yourself is quite the thing. So we'll, yeah. I'll cut him some slack on that. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Fair enough. When you were playing, did you have a go-to move or like a specific shot you would use in a shootout when everything was on the line?
1: Uh, I tried to just read the moment, but my probably my go-to was forehand, backhand, shelf. Uh, That was probably my go-to move. But yeah, no, I I would just see what I saw and make a play. I didn't like to think about it too much. I just like to react in the moment.
0: Okay, good to know. Yeah. Um, The reason I ask is because I've been channeling my inner Wayne Gretzky lately. And (laughs) (laughs) that brings me to a segment that we do every episode. I was wondering if you'd like to play the takes and fakes trivia game. Okay, let's do it. Great. So there's three questions. The first question is your Edmonton Oilers, from what I understand. That's your team, right?
1: Yeah, you bet. Well, I worked for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but my team growing up, I can't lie, was the Oilers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: The Oilers then. Um, They were darn near unstoppable when Wayne came into the league. How many goals did he score in his career?
1: Oh, Brett, that's well. Now everyone listening is going to think, as a Canadian, I should know that answer. Was it over a thousand? I know that. A thousand and fifty two.
0: My source is saying eight hundred ninety
1: four. Oh, that's right. Over a thousand assists.
0: Oh, it very well could be yeah. over a thousand assists. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you always say the best players on the ice make those around them better.
1: <laughs> that's the best player. Absolutely. That is very true.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, don't get down on yourself. There's two more questions to go. Question two is how many kilometers is the drive from Saskatchewan to Edmonton?
1: <laughs> Saskatchewan. Well, we're in Saskatchewan now. I'm going to put you on the spot.
0: Pick a spot. Okay, that's a fair question. Um, I was <laughs> to a range of about 50 kilometers to work with because I went from. The center of Saskatchewan in Google Maps to the center of Edmonton in Google Maps.
1: <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. So, Saskatchewan is a province, and the top, the, the biggest two cities in Saskatchewan are Saskatoon and Regina. So, I'll say Saskatoon to Edmonton is about a 400 kilometer drive.
0: Okay. Google Maps was telling me 525.
1: Okay, that's probably Regina then. That's a little bit further away. So. Okay. I guess I was wrong again.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know about that. Maybe I should give you more like a hundred kilometer range, considering the fact that that's an ignorant American trying to estimate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hilarious, though. That's great. You bet.
0: All right, we'll call it one for two. How's that? Absolutely. All right, cool. The third question is: the Hockey Hall of Fame inducts players from the goalie position, center left wing, right wing, defense, and forward. What other position have I not mentioned?
1: You said center, wings, defense, defense, goaltender. Do you say goaltender? I did. And you said hockey playing position?
0: Correct. So my understanding is that this position has been faded out over the years, but there have been people inducted into the Hall of Fame at this position.
1: Oh, my goodness. Now I feel like, uh, I don't know if
0: you're talking about coaching, refereeing? No, actually, the the position that I've got is called Rover.
1: Oh, Rover. Interesting. You know what? I bet in the early days of hockey, they called it Rover. Yeah, that's quite fascinating. I think um, maybe uh, as a center now, they would just consider the center the rover. But modern day hockey is going to more like almost every position is roving if you're constantly in motion. So, well, I guess
0: I'm one for three. <laughs> so interesting. So then the rover I, it, position has evolved over the years because the wings and the forward and everybody is crossing every line. Whereas in the past, there was only one or two people that were going from blue line to blue line.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hey. Yeah.
0: Yeah. From when you picked up a stick and put on skates to what you see in the NHL now, is there anything else that you think has changed the game really dramatically?
1: I think taking the uh, blue line, like so like, you can make a two-line pass, has really changed the game.
0: That's mm-hmm. probably
1: the thing that changed the game the most. Two referees on the ice is changing changed. There's been a lot of change in the game, like the speed and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's probably the biggest one.
0: Yeah. You know, speaking Mm -hmm. of speed, I was watching this documentary on Netflix called The Game Changers. Have you seen it?
1: I was supposed to watch it actually last night, but I wasn't able to. That's that's on the bucket list here to watch, you bet.
0: It's about the culture of the enforcer in hockey. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah. But I did hear Bobby Hull say that Wayne Gretzky was spared from this barbaric fighting culture that existed in North American professional hockey leagues because he had a talent that was great enough to protect. And that was really interesting to me because it sounded like people around him recognized the talent that he had, and he was worthy of protection.
1: Oh, yeah. No, protection. And I actually think fighting should stay in hockey, not because I enjoy fighting, but because it deters cheap hits and dirty shots and players taking advantage of one another to know that there is someone on the other team that is going to take that matter into their own hands. So I actually don't think... It's not uh, head trauma and head injuries are not often the result of fighting because that actually happens very rarely now if you watch the NHL. But to have the opportunity to fight um, if something goes out of hand, I still think it's a good thing for the game of hockey, actually. But very, very rarely, I think that that's the key: is we have to we have to change the way we think about fighting, and uh, we have to learn to respect players better, especially head. Uh, that that is something that is also changing the game and is very fast changing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the reason that I brought up speed is because these guys are moving. I mean, guys and women are moving at 30 miles an hour on the ice. That is a weapon, and what they kind of dispelled in this documentary is that you know, it's easy to look at fights and say, oh, you know, that's a concussion waiting to happen. But they think right. that more concussions are happening because of open ice hits or checks against the boards, yeah. And fighting is something that's just kind of a misunderstood element of the culture.
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. I think the game's very fast and and it's rapidly changing. Players are no longer 230 pounds and 6'5". They're 5'11 and 180 pounds. And uh, they're fast. So, yeah, that, that is definitely the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in a fight?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, once. Yeah, once with the national team, yeah. I was a full-blown fight, but very, very rarely. Very, rare.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, I'm glad that Wayne Gretzky was protected, obviously, because the man did amazing things. I would argue, and I would imagine that others would, that you are mm-hmm. Wayne's equivalent if you had to split between genders. Have you ever met Wayne?
1: <laughs> I know Wayne quite well. Yes. Yeah, we know each other. We're I would say we're we're friends. I mean he called me the night before the hockey hall of fame induction and, and we see each other in the ranks and through the years. So yeah, I mean there's only been ever one Wayne Gretzky. There only always will be. I, I don't put myself at all in that category, but I, I also understand I was a dominant player in the women's game. That that's for sure. But There's only one Wayne. He's a special guy and a a very amazing guy. Yeah.
0: He also, I had the pleasure of meeting Wayne. I was at a bar in a New York City hotel with a coworker who introduced Mm -hmm. me. And he seemed like such a humble, soft spoken, wonderful person. You would never expect that he was the greatest, you know?
1: No. Yeah, Wayne is a is a very Canadian person, <laughs> he's very quiet, humble, and he's a great human and he's the greatest to ever play, so absolutely, yeah.
0: What made the Oilers of the 80s so special? You know, like Wayne needed a supporting cast, right?
1: It, it was the combination of speed and skill and the, the allotment of the greatest players ever from defense to forward to goaltender. And they were just way better and way smarter than any other team. And the the way they were coached to move the puck as a team, as a unit of five, and the way they played the game, um, maybe the greatest team of the 80s outside of the Montreal Canadiens. So um, very, very dominant team. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You know, I grew up down the street from a family that emigrated from Montreal to New York. And growing up, everything was about the Canadians with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, on the East Coast, absolutely. Yeah.
0: The U.S. women's soccer team that's demanding equal pay.
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I see our uh, successful women athletes and women's teams like ours who've been, who won. And we had a dynasty in our own way for a long time. And I think that absolutely, when you have success, people listen to you and it opens a lot of doors that would never be wise be opened. And for sure that what's going on. And I think what women's soccer and women's hockey are doing in the U.S. for equal pay is uh, also amazing.
0: I happen to agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) You bet. All right, Haley, we're honored that you chose to spend some time with us. Thank you for hanging out with the give backing. We really appreciate it, especially around the holidays. I can't thank you enough.
1: Oh, you bet. And uh, yeah, it's great what you're doing. I wish you all the best with the podcast and thanks for giving me the time.
0: Thank you. And where can everyone find you in Wickfest and hockey and your next event on social media?
1: Yeah, so Wickfest, we're at www.wicfest.com and uh, haleywickenheiser.com. my name. And then you can find me on uh, Twitter at Wick underscore 22 and on Instagram at hchickwick. H- and then uh, Facebook is uh, just my name. And uh, you'll find uh, everything you need to know there.
0: All right, we'll do some searching. Awesome. Thanks again, Haley.
1: <laughs> All right, Merry Christmas. Take care. Thanks.
0: bye thanks. All right. Thanks for tuning in again, Giveback Gang. If you have a moment to spare, please download, subscribe, and leave a review of the Give Back Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you access your free podcast content. Find us on Facebook at Giveback Podcasts. Giveback, as you know, is always spelled G-I-V-B-K. On Twitter at Giveback Podcasts on our website, giveback.com, as well. This concludes season one of the podcast. It has been quite an honor getting to know 20 individuals who have made sports philanthropy their life's work. Humanizing these larger-than-life sports figures has been an enriching experience for us and something we hope you've enjoyed as well. From the entire Give Back podcast squad, we'd like to wish you and yours a happy holiday and an inspired new year. We'll catch up with you in the 20s. Until then, remember, we've all got soul in our step and brilliance to bestow. Take a minute today to do something that improves tomorrow. Bye for now.